This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your house, Lord. It's time to gather as your people and have fellowship one with another. But Lord God in heaven, this is all about you. We come to have fellowship with you, to have a, a time where we can hear from heaven, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'll take the words that we've prepared today, Lord, that you'll have a word in season for someone today, Lord. I pray that you'll encourage us, Lord. I pray, dear God, that my stumbling lips and my uh, feeling mannerisms, Lord God, in heaven will be ignored and the word that you speak will be heard. Lord, we glorify you. Lord, this is all about you. And we praise you and we glorify you. Amen and amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, good. And if not, shame on you. Uh, turn to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. I have uh, given this message the title, God's Mercy Throne. It's actually not in this, the, the, the phrase God's mercy throne isn't actually in the scripture. What we're going to look at really is God's mercy seat. But for me, when I thought about this idea and I thought about the mercy seat, I thought to myself, this is the king of kings. This is the God of the universe. Surely for me, at least when I would, if I would have approached the, the mercy seat, I would have said, this is the throne. This is where God resides. So that's the title of my message this morning is God's mercy throne. So Exodus chapter 25. And we're going to start at verse 11. This is a wee bit of a technical information here, but it's God speaking to Moses. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out, and you shall overlay it and shall make, it, uh, make on it a molding of gold all around and you shall cast four rings on it uh, of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. Now, this is actually the Ark of the Covenant he's describing, but the mercy seat sits on top of it. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the Ark that the Ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be on... Um, shall be in the rings on the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a, a, a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubs, or cherubims of gold, of hammered work shall make them uh, at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, and the other cherub at the other end, and you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat, and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat and from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment on the, uh, to the children of Israel. 
I was reminded of this passage and this idea of the, the mercy seat and that type of thing. Pastor's been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about us being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's also mentioned that in the Old Testament, people were temporarily um, imbued by the Holy Spirit to perform specific tasks. Um, God had actually, in the scriptures here, God has actually imbued a couple of men to craft this. He's gifted them and, and, and equipped them with the knowledge and with the skills necessary to create this thing. We don't know what it looked like other than the description, but I'm sure if God has in, inspired it, it was something that was to be beholden. It was something of gold, so it was going to be something special. We're jumping right into the middle of the, the story here, really, uh, the whole idea of the ark and the tabernacle in the wilderness. This is God's revelation to his people. And he's going to tell them a lot about himself, and he's going to tell, tell them a lot about how to approach him and the necessary steps and the necessary things to go through. He's trying to convey a message to them. He knows who he is. He knows his requirements. But these people don't know much about him. We have a lot of wealth of knowledge that we have gained over the years. If you've known Christ for any length of time, if you've read the scriptures, you know an awful lot about God and how to approach God and, and maybe even this subject. But these people that, 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 that Moses was dealing with, they knew very little, if anything at all. So God is unfolding a revelation of who he is and of what, what he is like. He's telling them about who, where he comes from, where, what he's like. It's really remarkable when you think about it. And when you think about it, the first piece of, first thing he describes is his seat, is the mercy seat. He's describing, describing the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Something that's, that's really, from movies and things like this here, we hold in like, wow, this must have been impressive. Certainly the, the idea of it, this is to represent where God sits. You know, and actually, as we'll see, the Shekinah glory of God would come and hover over this. I mean, this has got to be incredible. It was something that, that people in this, this day and age would have been shocked by. And you know what? Not everyone got a chance to witness it. So God's unfolding revelation. And he wants the people of Israel to know that I require a couple of things. First of all, I require people who will be devoted to me, who will be minister to me, who will serve me, a people who will be my mouthpiece. The priesthood were going to perform that, that role. They were going to be the ones who would intercede on behalf of the people with God. But in the same time, they would be the ones to be able to instruct and to teach about these things to the people and to emphasize the holiness of God whenever they were going through their rituals and their ceremonies. And at the same time, God wanted a place to dwell in. He wanted a place to dwell. And it's important that the children of Israel learn this and understand this. So God starts with, the, with the, the Ark of the Covenant and with the mercy seat. It's important that they know and that we know that God is very different from us. He's a special type of, he's a special type of being. I don't like calling him a being, but he's very different from us. We have this problem and this tendency where we bring God down into our way of thinking. And we think of him maybe just as a superman of Clark Kent, you know, uh, who goes about doing good things, who has superpowers and super strengths. But realistically, he's just a man with super strengths. But that's not who God is. God's conveying to these people and to us that he's so much more than that. He's so much more than what our minds can grasp and appreciate. 
we scrape the surface truly when we think about God and we think about how majestic he is, when we think about how powerful he is, when we think about all that he's able to do and all that he's able to perform, when we think about all that he has created, we can only scratch the surface to, uh, to appreciate even the smallest bit of who he is. And here God is in the process of revelation. He's revealing himself to them. He's revealing how, who he is. And realistically, I think, whenever you look at this description and you look at this tabernacle, it all comes down to this mercy seat. This is the place I'm going to sit. For a want of a better phrase, this is where I'm going to put my butt and sit with my people. We've all got our favorite chair in the house that comfortable seat that's well-molded, that we're familiar with, that we come and we can really relax. Some of us have gone out of our way to pick a chair. I know if I had my way, I've had a lazy boy in the house, pop that switch and out goes the legs, I would have had that, but unfortunately, I didn't have that say. <laughs> one day, Lord, one day. <laughs> Maybe from a study. So God has designed this chair. This is a place I'm going to come and I'm going to sit. And he actually says it there, that verse, that, that verse 22, and I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. Wow. This is a place God wants to come and meet with his people. That's wonderful. It's fabulous. He's getting this message across. I, mean, I don't even know if Moses fully appreciated this. Maybe he did. I think he did. But did the people really appreciate it? Did they fully understand? Yeah, God's going to be in there. Or were they still in that, that mentality of Egypt where they had statues and they had images that they would worship and it just stood there? But would they, be, would they really fully appreciate that the God of the universe, you know what? He would humble himself and he would come amongst them. Wow. That's a powerful thought. It's a powerful image. But in order for this mercy seat to become occupied, in order for Jesus to, or for God, sorry, to take the seat, not only would it have to be fashioned and made, but there would be certain steps that would be required. There had atonement had to be made. Blood had to be spilt. There had to be a sacrifice in order to, to, uh, to cleanse some of the sin that was around them, to make an appeasement for it. Atonement is entirely wrapped up in the mercy seat. Atonement for sin, it's, it's, it's one and the same. It's wrapped in there. You can't think of the mercy seat without thinking of atonement, without thinking of sacrifice, without thinking of the blood that is shed for sin. You cannot do it. Scripture, it's, in, it's wrapped up in the scriptures. Atonement is the act where the high priest would take um, on the day of atonement, a special day that was set aside, he would take a spotless lamb and he would sacrifice it. Atonement, the object of atonement is God, to atone, for, atone to God for our sins, for our failings, for our failures, for our sins. Atonement to appease God's righteous law and to appease him. Atonement was made, this blood was sacrificed to say the... As we all know, the wages of sin is death. Here something has died in my place. An atonement was made to, to, for God. And the object of a reconciliation then is us. It was the children of Israel in this case we're talking about. 
they were the object of reconciliation. So atonement was made to God and reconciliation was made to the people of Israel. Leviticus 16 tells us a lot about this procedure and this action, this this, uh, ceremony that would have to take place. And if you turn over to the right-hand side to Leviticus 16, we'll read a couple of verses just to give us a foundation of what we're talking about. Because as I said, we can't talk about the mercy seat without talking about atonement. Leviticus 16 and verse 7. I want you to think about, as we're reading this, I want us to think about what's actually happening here. It's talking about Aaron, and he shall take, verse number seven, and he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring, shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, uh, yeah, atonement upon it, and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. I mean, it's being brought before the tabernacle to perform this uh, ceremony. God doesn't need it to be brought before the tabernacle. He's conveying a message to the people. He wants them to see what God is doing. He wants them to see what God requires. He wants them to understand the message and what's going on. Verse 11 says, And Aaron shall shall bring the bull of the sin offering. Because he had to make an atonement for himself personally. Um, So he would bring the blood of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of the sweet incense, incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the, tes- uh, on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the, with his finger on the mercy seat uh, uh, on the east side, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, um, which is the lot, Lord's lot had fell on. So this is the, the, the one to be offered. Um, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for, for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people, children of Israel and because of their transgression for all their sins. And so he shall do the tab- for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness because the people were not holy they were striving for that they would learn that they needed to raise the standard they needed to, to change their lives to, to, to walk in God's ways to seek after God to hold in value those things that God holds in value to shun those things that God shuns and in doing so, they would be transformed as in a process and they'd be moved along. But at this time, they're, they're never going to be perfect. So this is an activity that needs to go on. It needs to be happening every year. And it was only ever just covering, making a, a, a appeasement for a year. 
It was never really dealing with their, the root of their sin, as we all know. That would come later on. So one animal was killed, it was sacrificed, the blood was, was sprinkled, it says. I guarantee you, if I was going in there, I'd have been splattering that blood. I'd have been, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to get struck down. I would, I'd make sure this blood, is, it's got to be covering me. I need this blood. Verse number 20 says, And when he has made an end of anointing for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, considering all their sins, putting on them... Uh, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. It's a powerful imagery, isn't it? Two animals, one's being killed and sacrificed and the blood is being shed and it's being sprinkled or splattered onto the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And another animal is being taken and Aaron is putting his hands on it. Now, I doubt if he was being gentle, as you know, as gentle as we are with our wee dog. He was grabbing that thing and he was laying his hands on with purpose. Now, he wasn't, I doubt sincerely, that he was saying, Lord... Forgive Sharon this week, Lord, you know, because she has done this. Forgive Gary this week, because he's, you know, he wasn't doing that. He was probably confessing sins. Lord, jealousy. Lord, covetousness. Lord, adultery. Lord, sin, sin, sin. Confessing them over that animal. And I doubt he was whispering it. I would say he was probably saying it out loud. He was saying it out loud. You can imagine that scene just comes to me. That scene of Jesus with the woman caught in the act of adultery. He starts writing on the ground. We don't know what he's writing. I'm taking a bit of license, but was he writing out the names of the sins? Was it the sins the high priest was saying over the animal? That animal was then taken off into the wilderness and released, sent away. The sins were gone. Sins are gone. What a powerful image. What a powerful image of God dealing with sins. What a, what a fabulous image. The first goat killed to demonstrate the consequences of sin. As Paul tells us in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death. What, a, what an image. Here's death. This is the result of sin, the consequences. And here's the consequences of forgiveness. The sins of God have been taken away. Wow! Amen. Praise the Lord. The sins were taken away. Amen. Cast into the sea of his forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed his sins from me. Amen. Wow! Praise the Lord. What an image. And this is all wrapped up in the mercy seat. Wrapped up in it. God of mercy. He has had mercy on us. We didn't deserve it. Under no circumstances, under any understanding of my own abilities, my own talents or whatever, I didn't deserve it. 
It's all about him, his mercy. And he displays it in what a way. Wow! What a God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. And after that blood is splattered on that mercy seat, then the Shekinah presence of God, the glory of God comes down. Wow! And the God of the universe has come in amongst them. I can come now. It's been dealt with. Remember, God wanted to be with his people. He designed this temple and this tabernacle for a purpose, to travel with them, to move with them, to be with them, be in their midst. It was a remarkable tabernacle. It was remarkable, the whole thing. And I'm not, I'm not speaking on the whole thing. I mean, a pastor's done a series on it. You could, you could easily do weeks and weeks on it. But if you can imagine, the whole thing speaks together and collectively and individually. It speaks about Jesus. It speaks about his life with us, his, what he has done. You come to the tabernacle itself, and there the curtains were round the outside of it. They were, the best thing I could describe them as is, do you know ever see these beach shelters where you just take a stake and it's sort of like a, so it's, so it's a curtain that goes round and you come up and there's one door. And you think of Jesus and he said, I am the door, I am the way. The first place you come to is the brazen altar where they would kill the animals, where they would sacrifice them, where, there, where the blood was shed everywhere. It was probably a mess. Blood everywhere, animals, priests coming and going. Speaking of sacrifice and, and atonement, then you come to the laver, which was a beautiful piece of furniture, which was made with the, the mirrors of the women. And there was a bowl that the, the priest could then wash their hands. But it also had a, a bar at the bottom where they could wash their feet. Speaking of washing your hands or walking or work. And as they were approaching, this is God telling them, this is how you approach me. You come then to the next part. So that is the way. Then you come to the next part. And there you would have the menorah, the candlestick with the, the, the seven, golden, uh, seven golden candlesticks, so the, 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 the speaking of, um, of God and of, of our service with God and the table of showbread, speaking of our, our service with God and the uh, table of incense, speaking of our prayers and our service with God, all speaking of the, the way, the truth. This is about living the life before God. And then you come into the holy place where the ark was, where the mercy seat was. His whole purpose was to get them to the mercy seat, was to get them to the end goal in a relationship with him, to meet with them. Inside the Ark of the, the Covenant there, underneath the mercy seat, there was the tables, uh, the tablets of the law. Paul, Paul again tells us in the New Testament that these were a schoolmaster pointing us towards Christ. They were to teach us that we could never meet the law's demands and we needed someone who would meet the law's demands. They had the pot of manna, the super, supernatural manna, which didn't go off, which, which, remained, um, which remained in there to speak to them of God's provision and God's supply. Also of God's, you know, give us this day our daily bread and the word of God. Again, wrapped up in that images of Jesus. And then Aaron's rod that budded is also in there. A dry, dead stick that blossomed. Speaking of God bringing life from something that is dead. Tell you what, if that doesn't talk about Jesus, I don't know what does. 
life coming from death. And then the ark of the mercy seat on top, splattered in blood. Again, that verse, Exodus 25, we read it there. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. What a mighty God. It's all about mercy. It's all about him doing what he didn't have to do. People complain that there is only one way to God. Oh, you Christians, you only talk about the one way. And it's a narrow way. They talk about things like that and they're disparaging about, it, about the Bible and about God. The truth is the mercy of God is the fact that there is a way at all. The fact that there is a way that we can approach a holy God is, is an act of mercy if ever there was one. In fact, you know what? I am glad that there's only one way. Because if there was a dozen ways, or hundreds of ways, or thousands of ways, I'd probably spend my entire life trying to research the easiest one to do, easiest one to follow. But if there's only one way, I don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder if this is the best way, because this is the best way. If there was too many options, I'd be wondering. I thank God that he's made a way. Amen. Praise the Lord. Later on, as the Bible progresses, as the revelation of God progresses, and as the story of the children of Israel develops, um, David eventually takes the ark to Israel, or into Jerusalem, sorry. And by that time, he's actually no longer calls it the ark. He's calling it the place of atonement. So wrapped up with atonement and the mercy seat and the ark are all together. And he brings them up. The people came to appreciate that atonement had to be made, that it was important and vital for their relationship with God. God is a God of mercy, God of grace and mercy. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever. In other words, he doesn't stay angry forever, but he, because he delights in mercy. Mercy of God. People out there don't know anything about the mercy of God. They're so full in their mind and their imaginations of the judgment of God, of the standards of God, of the righteousness, holy of God. Ah, he's just a God of laws and, and regulations. And he, is, he has got requirements, but the truth is he's merciful beyond everything else. He knows that he is from, he's different from us. He knows it. You know, when you think about God, sometimes whenever people are talking in terms of apologetics and stuff, they think of God and they talk about God uh, to, to enable the unsaved to appreciate the difference. Maybe to take a bit of the religious veneer off our language at times. Think of God as a being from another dimension. I don't like using the word being, but you know what I mean? A being from another dimension. That dimension, let's call it E for eternity. Supernatural, powerful. A being that created everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, he created everything. Everything. He created the air. He created galaxies. He created stars. He created the oceans. He created our, our uh, weather system with clouds. 
the sun, the moon, created all these things and created us. And then he made a way for us to be in relationship with him. It is phenomenal to think about it. It really is. I don't think we appreciate it quite so much at times. He is another being from another dimension. Don't get your sci-fi hats on, but Gary. But it's, it's amazing. So there was a requirement. There's a way to approach him. This is just wonderful that he is a God of mercy, that he's made that way where we can approach him. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. Not by works of righteousness, not by anything that we had inherently to do or to be or were, but by his mercy. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And uh, obviously the New Testament was written in Greek and parts in Aramaic. They found in the third century before Christ uh, that the problem was that the Jewish community um, were mixing. Obviously, Alexander the Great had come through and there's trade and stuff like that there. So they found that the Jewish community was speaking less and less Hebrew and that the younger generations were coming along and they were speaking more and more Greek. So what they did was they, the Jewish leaders at the time decided that they would get their best scholars together and that they would compose or translate the Old Testament into Greek, making it therefore more available and accessible for the younger generation. This is wonderful, especially for speakers and, and pastors and people, to look at words from the New Testament and in the Old Testament and get a, a sense of continuity. The Greek word translated in the Old Testament, uh, the Greek word um, helastron, uh, is translation of the, old te- uh, the Hebrew word for caparet. Um, it's related to the word for atonement, which is the word kippur, where we get, this, where we get the, day, the word yom kippur, the day of atonement, yom being a word, Hebrew word for day. This word halastrion, uh, excuse my pronunciation, it usually gets translated as propitiation. In the New Testament, propitiation only occurs a handful of times. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3 says, And behind the second veil, on the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pots that had manna, iron rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, glory overshadowing the mercy seat, or halastrion. It's the exact same word. It's also used again in Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, And being justified freely by his grace through, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation, halastrion, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. 
to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Actually, as I was preparing this morning, I actually looked it up even in a couple of other translations, which I'm going to read off my phone. It probably hasn't happened too many times, people are reading off the phone from the pulpit. Young's literal translation says, verse 25, whom God sent forth, did set forth a mercy seat through the faith in his blood for the showing forth of his righteousness. The NIV, if you have that translation anyone today, says God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. And the Amplified Version says, Jesus, whom God displayed publicly before the eyes of the world as a life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation, propitiation by his blood, to be received through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, which demands punishment for sin because in his forbearance, his deliberate restraint, he passed over the sins previously committed before Jesus' crucifixion. Wow. Jesus is our propitiation. The ark itself came to, it was all speaking of in types and shadows of Christ. Clearly, identified here through the New Testament, Christ being our atoning sacrifice and being that place where God dwells as well, all wrapped up in the same thing. This idea of atonement and forgiveness, of mercy um, from God. And it wasn't enough for God just to, just to do... Uh, to dwell amongst the people in the tent. As pastors reminded us, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within us. Turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Verse 10 it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I, fa I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, 
Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice how many times the Pharisee said, I. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I am not like other men. I am not like that man. He came to the temple to pray, to tell about how good he was. He didn't ask God for anything. He really didn't even praise God. And the other man came, and he couldn't even lift his eyes. So aware of his feelings, so aware of his inadequacies, so aware of his sin. He came to the temple and he couldn't even look up. Not, he couldn't even look at the temple, but looked at the ground. And he beat his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. Halaskomi, which is like a plead for halastron. He's pleading for covering. God, be merciful to me. He was aware of his need, aware of his inadequacies. We should be taking this message of a God of mercy to our world. We don't need to take a message that's just all happiness and God's purpose and God's plan and God. Those are true and right. We need to be taking a message of mercy. Listen, you don't meet the standard. You know what? Sometimes you're not even a nice person. You know, sometimes... You get up my nose. Sometimes you do things that are so selfish and self-serving, proud and boastful. You do this on the side when you think no one's watching. You do that on the side. Listen, let me tell you, there's a God who loves you all the same. There's a God who sees your state, your dirty, rotten sin, and he wants to take it away from you into the wilderness to cast it from as far as the east is from the west he's already made atonement he's already shed his blood he's already made a way there's too much pride too much arrogance I read this passage and I was thinking that that's fabulous you know what the Pharisees inside all of us how many of us said, thank God, I'm not like a Pharisee? How many of us did that? Thank God, I'm not like that Pharisee. You know what? God, have mercy on that Pharisee. People who would condemn those around us, who wouldn't even reach out for them. I thank God that we're in a church that reaches out, that always is saying, God's a God of goodness and mercy. God wants to save you. 
No mistake you've made is so far that I can take you from God's grace. Atonement has been made. The forgiveness is ready. The goat is ready to start running. No sin is so great that God cannot forgive it. I thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Aren't you glad that he's merciful today? Some people are. You know, I've heard, heard an amen from Rosine there, so Rosine's happy about it. I said, thank God for his mercy. Amen. His mercy endures forever. That means in eternity we'll have a song to sing. We'll be able to keep talking about his mercy. We'll be able to keep talking about it because that's what gives us the, the door, the access to him. Jesus, who is the embodiment of God's mercy. What a wonderful truth. I could go on. There's so much more in the, the teaching, you know, the acacia wood, the wood, speaking of God's, the tabernacle was made with wood overlaid with gold, speaking of wood being common and gold being precious, divine. There, there's the time where, where Mary runs into the, um, at Jesus' resurrection, she runs into the uh, to empty tomb to find two angels sitting there, one at the left and one at the right, one at, where his head would have been, one at, where his feet would have been, speaking of image of the mercy seat again that idea over and over again we realize that Jesus is our mercy seat he's our the mercy hand of God extended towards us this is the truth that God desires to meet his people and he desires to meet the lost he desires to save those who are far from him and bring them into a relationship with him the blood of the spotless lamb is the only way to make that meeting possible. The mercy seat and the blood sprinkled upon it by the high priest was a shadow of Christ to come. Christ did come. Christ made the sacrifice on Calvary when he who knew no sin became sin for us and died on that rugged cross. And it's a wonderful truth this morning. Today, I want us to consider even this afternoon as we go home, to consider the mercy of God, to consider all that he has done for us, to consider how he has made a way where there was no way, how he made up for our sins, how he covered them, how he took them away from us, and we're no longer under that threat, under the judgment of God. Now we stand in the grace of God, thanks to the mercy of God. Consider that today as we go home. And as you're, you're sitting around the table and you're sitting with family and friends, think about the mercy of God. Even in our own lives, those things that we have done, it's a good to consider and remind ourselves about how God has saved us, how he was merciful to us. He has been so merciful to us. He really has. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.